Hello everybody and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News and we've got a hell of a job on our hands today because there is not much city to talk about. It's that dreaded second international break. The the skies are getting darker, the rain has picked up, it's spooky, it's gloomy, it's a little bit depressing but we get here nonetheless and of course with me today is Mr Simon Bukowski. Si, how's it going? Uh, yeah, that was a cheery intro, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Gotta say positive, even if, like, you know, as you can maybe out see out my window, and if you're watching this in living colour on YouTube, um, it's been so rainy today, and I'm really worried my roof's going to leak again. But I'm going to try and keep a sunny disposition, even if the sky is not. <laughs> and now I've got to get a uh, a pipe fixed. Um, not a euphemism. And mm. it's, you know, less than ideal to do, because it's outside... Are so, you going to uh, do it? Or are you going to get someone else to do it? Uh, I think I'm going to get someone else to do it. It's always the way. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a bath yeah, drain that needs uh, replacing that I might stretch to do it myself. That's kind of Ooh. the extent of my... It's dangerous dealing with pipes, though. One, one wrong turn and... Well, yeah. Well it, it, well, it burst ages ago. Um, but it was like, well, there's no point doing it when it bursts. So, but you don't want it... You don't want it going too long, do you? And uh, nobody probably wants to hear any of that tale. So um... listen, I think we need time <laughs> to kill, and DIY chat is as good as chat as any. Especially, I, you know, we 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 started this this chat with some cricket talk at one point during the summer. Yes, before the World Cup yeah. so far. Yeah, well, there's there's plenty of city to talk about, isn't there? Um... Oh, is there? Right. Well, you're being very optimistic. Well, well. well... <laughs> Nothing new, but I mean, we've decided no, to take a yeah. look at, um, you know, the the start, which is, you mm. know, pretty substantial. More than 20% of the Premier League season is yeah. over. So, yeah, it's a good sample size. Yeah, I think so. We're getting towards that, that sample size that you'd want. So, yeah, mm-hmm. plenty to chat about. Yeah. Well, that is that is the idea for today's episode. We're going to kind of have a review of the season so far. Nearly nearly a quarter of the way in. So, as you say, substantial enough to kind of see what's going on, what's going wrong, what's going right, who's playing well and who's not. And how City are looking generally. As I say, eight games into the Premier League season, just shy of a quarter. And if you had the uh, Carabao Cup and Champions League matches to that. And, of course, um, the silverware already won with the UEFA Super Cup. It's already been a busy start of the season. Um... It's almost as if, because it's been like a bad week to end on, it almost feels like things are a bit more negative than they are, because before that, it was all guns blazing, six wins on the spin in the league, an additional two in the Champions League. You know, As we've said before, it took City until February to win four matches on the spin last season, and they won the treble. So to have won six right out of the gate already, you know, nearly a record. You know, the Wolves, if they hadn't lost at Wolves, it would have been a record record number of wins for City in the league but you know so it's hard to it's hard to you don't want to forget all the good that's come but the last week has kind of maybe, I wouldn't say put a negative on it quite but kind of maybe given a more kind of realistic look at what where City at because even though they were winning they weren't exactly all guns blazing uh, you're absolutely right on both counts and it, we didn't really touch on that on Monday so there are new things to say um, we found it yeah but you know but how often do we talk and how often does City talk about being sort of slow starters mm. so if they were sitting there having won six out of eight being two points off top and 
top like the Champions League group is is done now basically um after that away win in Leipzig so you know if if we were we're sitting there six from eight and you know won the Super Cup lost the Carabao Cup would say yeah that's a really good start but because those six wins came first it's sort of like oh a city crumbling away and um and things like that and we're talking about the issues that city have um and yeah at the same time the performances in those six wins were not brilliant and the performances in the recent defeats were not brilliant but as we said on on monday i think sort of the wolves defeat was a lot worse than the arsenal defeat and you know we're mm. seeing all this stuff about you know city's issues against arsenal and what's going wrong and there wasn't really much wrong you know they lost to a a grubby kick from outside the box that took a big deflection. Now they weren't mm. great against Arsenal, but Arsenal weren't great against them. So um again, if we were talking about a point away from home at Arsenal with a home game to come, that would be really, you know, yeah. advantage City. But as it is, they've kind of thrown away a big chance. So yeah, it, I mean these kind of podcasts are good to sort of explore those nuances of um what has been good and what hasn't, because we shouldn't get too carried away with the the recent defeats but also mm. we shouldn't pre- pretend that the starts before that was perfect yeah absolutely I, I was on a monday and i'm sure you went in depth on kind of how guardiola changed his system a bit to kind of work without rodri and I, I thought it worked quite well it seems to be finally finally i've had the solution me and me and tyrone spoke last week um, ahead of the arsenal game saying bernardo was probably the most um feasible option to do it there just because he's so good on the ball he might not have the quite have the defensive prowess or the strength that Rodri does but he's certainly as good on the ball and at keeping it and his energy the way he can get about the pitch is you know second to none in the in the Premier League pretty much so I thought that worked really well <laughs> I feel like my Kovacic agenda continues to gather credence <laughs> considering he got very lucky to stay on the pitch but he did um, you know rash reckless tackles aside he thought he played a lot better in that more advanced dynamic box-to-box role than he did being kind of shackled as, as the CDM and you know it wasn't quite both play one player holding but Bernardo was definitely the deeper of the two I, I thought he did really well so it's kind of I think even if Arsenal did lose sorry even if they did lose to Arsenal it's good that they seem to now have a good backup plan to and obviously Rod, Bernardo wasn't available for the Wolves match either so maybe he would have played in that if he was but it does seem now they do have that backup plan if Rodri is injured again. It might not be good long term or feasible for the long term. You you still think they need a more kind of dedicated operator who they can re- um, re- rely on if need be, because clearly Calvin Phillips isn't. But that they have that backup option now and that rotation option if Rodri does need a rest. I think that's a, a big positive to come out of you know a, not a season defined defeat, but a, a defeat that could and should give Arsenal a whole lot of confidence going into this kind of really business part of the season now in the in the middle yeah I think so and you know John Stones came back John Stones can play that role um Nunes and Kovacic when they're later down the line in their kind of city education might be able to play that role what it did highlight is how important Bernardo Silva has been this season and how important it was to to keep him out of um, PSG's clutches and well, and Barcelona's clutch, I suppose, but they never had the the money. Um, but you know, he Bernardo Silva can play pretty much anywhere on the pitch and can do a really good job. And yeah, you're not getting the best out of his 
skill set to play him as like a holding midfielder, just kind of keeping his foot on the ball. But he is so good that he is still better than anyone else in the team <laughs> at doing that role when Rodri's not there in those circumstances. So, you know, he uh, Guardiola spoke the other week about, you know, Bernardo being his character and, you know, the shorthand that he has with him and they have a really good relationship. And he's one of those players where Guardiola can tell him what he needs and Bernardo Silva will do it straight away. Um, and, you know, you can't really... Um, underestimate how priceless that is so you know if you're thinking about the who who was it's hard to say that Bernardo Silva has been one of the best players as such he probably has but he's certainly been like one of the top three important players in their starts of the season for his ability to play just anywhere mm-hmm. oh yeah I think we've all known how crucial he's been for you know he was playing left back last season when things were going a bit awry and even though he's clearly not very well suited to it. He, he's still nice to do a good job at times, and you know it's, it's clear how important he is, and how you know how, how crucial it was that they kept him during during the summer. But as you said earlier, there like City are kind of slow starters, inverted commas, and that's always been like by design. Guardiola, I think he said it ahead of Arsenal. In fact, he's saying like as long as we're still, you know, always the humble man, but as long as we're still within touching distance and in in the race by February and into the knockout stages, like he, he's happy, but. You know, that hides the fact that he doesn't want his team going gung-ho, hell for leather, playing their absolute best now. Because if you burn out so soon, kind of a bit like what Arsenal discovered last year, if you burn out and fade away before it really matters, you're not then coming up at the right time to steamroll your opponents and go on, win the league. You know, winning, starting really well is, is good and impressive and can build confidence. But if you don't have the longevity to go for the full nine months, you, you're going to fade away at the, the the crucial time. And especially with City got a Club World Cup to come later on this year, of course, and then we'll be wanting to go long in the Champions League again. It, it I feel like people can really panic, um, get jittery in the early stage of the season when City aren't at the best. And it's happened pretty much every year. They don't need to be doing the absolute best football they can do just now. It's more about just getting the results clicking along, getting everybody, getting the new signings kind of accustomed um, to the system and whatnot and do, do it kind of, I wouldn't say the bare minimum, but almost to that extent, just getting getting the results without trying, you know, trying as little as possible, really. And then when when it really matters, that's when you turn it on. And I'd, 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 I'd be interested, I think, obviously, you remember the big knockout matches and the, the big kind of Premier League clashes more. But I'd, I'd, I'd be very interested to know, like, City's undefeated streaks tend to come from like January, December onwards. And I, I'd wonder if you look back through Guardiola's time at the club, like how many of his biggest wins and the most impressive wins have come, um, you know, past the new year mark in a season. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of two-pronged, isn't it? There's the physical and mental aspect of um, sort of not overloading at the start of a season. You know, the, the performance team are very deliberate in that they don't want the team tired come March, April, and, and I think, um, you know, that is something that they've really worked on and, and got bang on last year. Um, and there's also kind of the psychological element of it, and that kind of shouldn't be dismissed either in the sense of, like, as much as sort of you don't want to be going for broke on the pitch in October, um, 
you know you don't want to be treating every game as must win because it's mm. exhausting and you you, mm. you can't go through a whole season thinking i must win every game because mm. the emotional turmoil yeah yeah it, it's just it's too much pressure and too high expectations like you've mm. got to admit that you're not going to be at your best all the time and mm. it's sort of like um it it's um there was a good article in the mail at the end of last season by marty Perenau who um wrote Pep Confidential, the book, so, you know, knows knows Pep pretty well. He, he said Pep kind of treats um, treats the season like golf in that, you know, all 18 holes are, are important, um, but you can't kind of, you can't win a round of golf on any one hole. You just have to be consistent, but you can lose a round of golf on one hole if you blow up so badly. So mm-hmm. City kind of, you know, try and win every game. But if they're not winning, what they don't want to do is lose so badly that it has mm. consequences for like future yeah. things, and that's why you know, got red cards and things like that annoy Guardiola so much because not only do they reduce your chance of winning one in one game, they also um, have knock-on effects for for the next one or few, as we've seen with Rodri. So it's um, City kind of would have rather beaten Arsenal. But I don't think there are any kind of red flags from that or the the Wolves games that they will be will be bothered about because you can't you just can't be thinking about like winning the treble now. No. No, absolutely not. And as you say, like the Arsenal game was a much more controlled match. You know, Arsenal are a quality team. I think they probably deserved a kind of a loaded term, but I think they probably edged it with the second half performance. They certainly got the ascendancy a little bit more, and that's that's fair. But other than that, it was pretty pretty even, Stephen, for for most of the game and you know City weren't dazzling um, but they were a lot more controlled solid had good chances and that was just such a contrast to that Wolves match which was so frantic so um, end-to-end a game of transitions which is like pretty much the the antithesis of what Guardiola ever aims for he he, you know he he, god forbid me if he had any hair I'm sure he'd be pulling it out against Molyneux because it was so um you couldn't take your eyes off. If you looked down for a moment, the ball would have changed hands and a chance would have gone at the other end. It was such unlike a Guardiola game, whereas Arsenal was much more in line with what you expect. Two teams, and you know, Arteta learned from under that Guardiola tree as a similar sort of system. It was kind of two teams figuring each other out, cancelling each other out in a way, nullifying, and as you say, the lucky break went their way. But it was clear that that Wolves game, when they couldn't replace Rodri as they would have wanted and Kovacic really couldn't, you know, really couldn't do that role as I've said numerous times that was a blip on the radar and we have kind of returned to the normality now as we said City haven't been performing the best so far this season part of that's bad design but what has been kind of going wrong again inverted commas so far this year why haven't they quite why, what's not quite been clicking Um, difficult to difficult to put your finger on one thing Thing. I think mm. um, you know defensively they've been uh, better than they have been going forward, but there have been kind of just a few blips that um, have sort of spoiled the card a bit. Because I think they've sort of um, defensively they're the best team in England or in Europe for the amount of chances they've conceded, but that hasn't necessarily um, transferred to sort of actual goals conceded. Mm. Uh, things like you know letting in that equaliser against Sheffield United or um, 
against Fulham. There's just been a few sloppy moments that have that have let them down. Going forward, I think you see um, it's been difficult for them to sort of keep Haaland connected and in the game. Mm. Uh, you know, I did a piece this morning about kind of which players have been used most this season compared to last season. And there's like, there's only five out of 10 that are the same. And most of those are defenders. So whereas last season you had De Bruyne and Gundogan and Mares and Jack Grealish and Bernardo Silva all in that group, um, now you've only really got, um, I think it's Kovacic, Silver, uh, Kovacic, Alvarez and Foden. So that kind of speaks about how different the midfield looks now. And, you know, the, the whole basis of last season was Can City play in a way that gets enough bodies and runners close to close to Haaland well if you automatically play more defenders then mm. it's going to be harder for your uh, your midfield players to get close to Haaland and that's not even taken into a fact that you've got players who weren't playing as regularly last season so aren't going to be as used to as used to doing it so I think it's it's a sign of the you know the summer turnover that there was really um, mm. significant exits and then De Bruyne's injury on top of that uh, means that they are missing that kind of link uh, between midfield and attack. I think that that means that you know the the goals that they are conceding are becoming a bit more relevant because they're not scoring as many. Mm. Well, I think for me, like the biggest change, which has kind of led to both the defense and the attack not being quite as like kind of on key as it was last year, is that Stones has been out. Stones was so so important to that system finally clicking last year, and you know Haaland's pretty much been scoring regardless of what was happening. But there was clearly a moment, you know, the first half of the season where he was scoring without really ever being involved much in the play, as you say. And on the second half of the season, that improved drastically because City could get players closer to him. And that was all because Stones was doing that stepping into the midfield, allowing another midfielder to step further up and be closer to Haaland, usually kind of, you know, either De Bruyne or Gundogan. And it made City so solid in the middle and they were just everything was working just like clockwork. Now, without Stones, he's kind of changed it to Walker being the defender to go into midfield, which has made it made him basically a right winger, which has pushed Foden inside. And that's just not worked as well because you've had Foden and Alvarez kind of stepping on each other's toes, operating in the same area. Then you've either had Kovacic or Nunes coming forward, again operating in the same area. You've had either Doku, or, well, mostly Doku, but then occasionally Grealish on the left who kind of been pushed further wide than they would have liked as like a kind of a left wing back role because it's been like a lopsided 3-5 well 3-5-1 whatever it is and it just feels like the balance of the team has just been completely knocked off kilter just from the simple change of instead of the centre back going into the middle or even if Stones was at right back he was still going into the middle um, in a centre midfield position and that change of the defender going to the wing is just I feel like it's just lopsided the whole team and as a result the, the, the creative kind of centre has got so congested and Haaland hasn't had any real support as a result and what's it now is it three games in a row without a call now no that's not a crime to stick him up for you know in front of the Geneva convention for but it's quite it's been quite noticeable recently his touches have kind of reduced drastically he's not been involved as much and it's not that he's not scoring he's that he's not really had many clear-cut chances in the last few games I don't think either which is the, probably the more worrying trend but thankfully Stones is now back so you'd like to think gets through the international break back full fit, we might see a return of what worked so well last year. 
Yeah, it's kind of been, um, I, I would say sort of, yeah, Arsenal and Wolves, you didn't really get a chance. Um, but maybe Leipzig and a few other games, he has had chances and and hasn't taken them. I don't think he's a sharp. It, it's mad because I, you know, I wrote the other day, he's got eight goals in eight league games. So he's on course for like 38 league goals, which mm. would be a record. But it doesn't feel like he's scored as many as eight. No. Um, but I uh, I checked this morning, actually, just what how many he'd scored in his first eight league games last season. Uh, any any guesses? Was it like 12 or 13 or something mad? Because he's got two hat-tricks quite early, didn't he? It was, was 15. Yeah, th- I remember three he scored loads. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so he scored basically half the number of goals. He got last season, which is, you know, pretty mad, but at the same time he's still um still on for like record breaking mm. form. So there there's a long time for that to to turn around. It's um yeah, I sort of gave a big long answer and neglected to mention John Stones being injured as a as a big factor. I I kinda think um yeah, City got a bit lucky with injuries last season but have been a bit unlucky this season mm. and um you know we mentioned kind of wolves as the probably the worst performance this season and um you know we we talk about kind of like you say arsenal was a lot better leipzig was a lot better just because it had that control that they lost at wolves that is so unlike a guardiola team but wolves was probably the the low point for for injuries and suspensions as well it's probably when they had the most key players out um so that kind of can't be forgotten either so you know after mm-hmm. the international break if all goes well then Guardiola will have everyone apart from De Bruyne to to pick from and and you should start to see better performances and performances that are kind of more familiar with what we're used to seeing well we'll bring part one of the Talking City podcast to a close they'll be back in just a moment where we'll kind of delve into who's played well and who's played not so well in the first quarter of the season don't go anywhere Hello everyone and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. We've been a bit, I wouldn't say negative, but we've been kind of analytical and critical of what's been kind of going a little bit awry in the first quarter of the season. Again, it's hardly hardly bad considering the third in the league joint um, just behind, two points behind Tottenham and Arsenal. So not a bad position at all. So, But let's be a bit more positive. Who's been like the kind of the best performer so far? I think the, only, I think the standout really, and maybe in, a bit surprisingly so, has been Julian Alvarez. Now, he hasn't got as many goals as Haaland, as you say. He's got six compared to eight, but he's been scoring important goals and he's kind of been stepping up and getting making crucial kind of um, decisive moments when Haaland maybe hasn't been. Um, I did the numbers the other day and I think um, five of his six goals have all been, and it, it might even be all of them, but definitely five have all been to either put City ahead or draw them level. Um, some cases when he scored twice, I think against, was it Fulham? Yeah, he scored the, the opener and then the goal that put him um, ahead. So he's, I say he's, he scored six goals, but they've all been really, a lot of them have been really good finishes. Um, 
you know, the, the Leipzig one, especially in his free kick against Wolves, immediately jumped to mind. But they're all coming at, like, important moments as well. It's not just as if he's kind of tapping the fifth one in um, and, and a 5-1 win. He's, he's he's really stepped up and making himself, as, as Guardiola said himself, an undroppable player. Yeah, it's really hard for him because he's, he's not Erling Haaland and he's not Kevin De Bruyne. So mm. it's... You're all... When you're judged against kind of those players, it's almost unfair because... They are, you know, two of the best players, not just in the world, but probably two will have ever played the game. Um, but he has made the position in his team his own and he's kind of played as, you know, anywhere between an eight, a ten and a nine and kind of just just been there when it mattered uh, and come up with, with important goals and goals and assists. Like you say, he's kind of really come on. He's probably stood out more than Foden um, in the middle. Uh, which again is no kind of easy, easy task. And yeah, he's. I, I would say he is. Yeah, certainly in the top three for performance this season. Um, and you could probably make a case for him being top just because of how influential he's been. Mm-hmm, absolutely, I didn't, I didn't think he performed quite as well when he was kind of having to play a bit wider against Arsenal. It definitely seems like that that number ten role is his is his home, which will kind of give Guardiola an interesting dilemma when and uh, hopefully sooner than later De Bruyne is finally back but I think you know while Alvarez can maybe been like the standout and maybe the unexpected kind of best player I think the undisputed continued best player is of course Rodri and if it wasn't already blatantly obvious the last three matches without him have made it clear just how integral he is to this team and how good he is I think a defensive midfielder probably never gets the best player in the world award or the Ballon d'Or or anything, even though Kante did win player of the season, didn't he, that year um, for Chelsea. But he's probably like the best player in the world, really, because no one can do what he does and he's so good at it, obviously. Mbappe and Haaland will get all the... Um, and Vinicius and Bellingham probably, the more exciting players will get those those plaudits. But it's hard to look past Rodri of just absolute world-class elegance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it's sort of you've kind of got to forget that Nottingham Forest game. But aside from <laughs> that, he, you know, he, he sort of he was the best uh, holding midfielder in the world, kind of at the end of last season, and then since that, he's then added more goal threat. Mm-hmm. And we talk about you know players being unable to um, replace him, and it's like, well, yeah, you can't have more than more than one of him and and the sort of the disjointedness with the attack and Haaland sort of Rodri covers that because he's so good because he can almost do the job of two players whereas it takes two players to do his job which then removes another player from your attack and it's uh, that's yeah we it's a blindingly obvious point but everyone said oh Rodri's City's most important player if they miss him then you know they'll they'll be in trouble and they have missed him and they have been in trouble. So he has, yeah. Again, like with Rodri and with Kyle Walker, I would say it's kind of a testament to them and to the setup at City with Guardiola that they're still getting better. Like Walker's thirty three and has improved his attacking game, albeit from a, a low bar. But like he's noticeably improved as an attacker, and Ro- and Rodri, I think twenty seven maybe twenty eight, but I think twenty seven. Twenty seven, yeah. And he's he's adding things to his game still. Mm-hmm. It's um, 
it's just very, very impressive to see. Um, has anyone else kind of caught you eye this year? Have been particularly standing out? I feel like everyone's kind of not coasting, but everyone's seemed in like most people middle ground six six to seven out of ten. But has anyone else kind of stood out? Uh, no, no, think so. Hmm. I can't really. Well, Walker, I think Walker is a good one. The, the turnaround yeah. he's had, you know, bench for the Champions League final, you know, couldn't hide his, his disappointment in that. But, you know, remain professional, came on, of course. Uh, you know, we, we heard what he said to his teammates before the game, his inspirational speech. Could have gone, looked like he may well have gone um, in the summer. But to stay, sign a new deal and, you know, got the captain's armband on now while De Bruyne is injured, you'd imagine, and playing every single minute of in the Carabao Cup, that's, that's some turnaround. Yeah, yeah, he's um, he's made himself essential to the team again, mm. um, and you saw kind of the way on um, Sunday he dealt with uh, Martinelli when he came on. I know Martinelli scored the winning goal as it turned out, but you know if you if you restricted Martinelli to shots from outside the box, you're doing pretty well, and he he cut him down plenty of times as that clip has gone round of him. Uh, coolly taking the ball past Gabriel Jesus who ends up sort of sliding past him um, I think kind of yeah Walker Bernardo uh, Alvarez and, and Rodri have been been the, the standout mm-hmm. players and on, on the other end of the scale who's kind of not been quite performing to pass it's hard to call Haaland with 8 goals and um, but obviously not performing to his very best uh, uh, such a high standard that is but is, is anyone else kind of Maybe a bit underwhelmed. Um, so you feel like Haaland, um, like you say, Haaland could be doing better for his ceiling. Uh, yeah. Foden probably could be doing better for his ceiling as well. Um, Phillips has not played poorly, but it, his lack of appearances is kind of damning for him. You know, he's yeah. he's there as the holding midfielder second to Rodri and other than the Carabao Cup, which Pep basically threw away, um, he's not played in any of the three games without Rodri. So, you know, it, he's it, courageous of him to stay and fight for his place. And, you know, he, he talks a very good game, but he, he's still not been able to, to back that up yet at, um, mm-hmm. on the pitch. We're going to talk about Jeremy Doku in just a moment. What if you've kind of made of like the the Grealish backlash sort of thing to his like contributions to the side? He's been injured, obviously, and he's only just coming back, but left on the bench against Arsenal, which I think kind of sends alarm bells and didn't come on against Wolves till I think the 80th minute with Oscar Bob coming on at half time. It, it kind of, you know, maybe it's just because he's feeling his way back from injury and he's not 100% yet, but it's a bit alarming, I'd, I'd think, that, you know, when City had. Maybe they weren't really chasing a goal till really late on against Arsenal, but against Wolves they certainly needed one. And Grealish doesn't doesn't seem to be seen as a player to come on to try and change things to get that goal. Where where's he stand at the moment? Yeah, I think there are two aspects to it. I think the first is that yes, there is a sense that he could be doing better, and you know, recall him kind of uh, when we were at Burnley on the opening night and he didn't play a single minute and then was out doing kind of advanced or prolonged shuttle runs after the game? Is that kind of a fitness thing? Or um, he has had a few games recently where he's not been picked either to come on or to start. 
where you th- think maybe that wouldn't have happened last season. Uh, maybe he needs to be doing more. But at the same time, the sort of online um, war against him is just ridiculous and stupid mm. and a sign of people who don't understand City and the way they play and don't understand what Grealish offers to the team. Um, you know, it was a surprise that Grealish didn't play at Arsenal because of the control that he offers. Mm, but exactly. Pep, Pep saying afterwards, kind of, he wanted control in the middle, which is why he sort of had Silver and Kovacic and Lewis in there, which, fair enough. Again, maybe a sign Grealish had it, worry to be in better form, he might have played. Um, but at the same time, yeah, Grealish has done, has not done very much wrong, and Jeremy Docker has not done much at all um to for the sort of online spectrum to be so far in favor of Doku over Grealish yeah absolutely we'll kind of move on to kind of maybe assessing how the the, the new summer signings have done so far so we'll start with Doku and I think that the, the way like he's kind of fans have just become enamored with him is because he's kind of so different to what City have had for years. He's almost a floor of throwback to kind of Leroy Sani and the fact that he's just a really kind of old-school winger, gets the ball, wants to run at defenders, wants to take them on, wants to shoot, wants to do exciting things. And Grealish, by design, doesn't <laughs> do that as often. It's his job to keep the ball, to cut inside, to bring it back. And yeah, it's it might not be as exciting to watch, but it, it leads to treble wins doesn't it now Docker he's looked good he's looked fun Guardiola said after the West Ham match you can't believe how well he's playing scored two you know scored that goal against West Ham he's got a good one against Leipzig as well he's certainly I don't think he's certainly doing better than I thought he'd maybe do like I've he's been highly rated for a long time but he's had his injury problems he didn't have the greatest record over at Wren um so I, I don't know if I was expecting much of him but I think he's exceeded those expectations so far but as you say the you know, the the the, the, thought, the thinking was ahead of us, so would it be Grealish or Docker? And it was neither of them, which I think, you know, it shows that they're both of pretty much an equal standing at the moment, as, as, as Guardiola has already said himself. Yeah, um, I think he's ahead of where everyone, including people at City, thought he would mm. be at this stage. Um, played tremendous, well, had a very, very nervous debut at home, then played really, really well at West Ham. Uh, since he's done all right, he's taken on, you know, he loves taking on his defenders. It's great to watch. Um, but you do lose that control. You know, he mm-hmm. came on against Arsenal, had four or five dribbles, lost the ball every time. Would Arsenal have had that ball to play it long and uh, Martinelli to score if he'd put on Grealish instead of Doku? Who knows? Um, I think it is kind of a. It will be a learning process where Doku learns exactly when to, when to go, and City learn how much license to, to mm. give him. Um, you know he he looks he looks good. He looks like, you know, fifty five million in today's market will yeah. end up pretty good value for a player that looks like he can. Um, once he hits his stride, kind of terrorise a lot of defences. Well, that's what I was just um, just going to ask. Like, Do you think that I'll get coached out of him a bit? Or will he become more of Grealish's mould? Or does Guardiola kind of want him to 
be that kind of difference maker? I think you, he'll want him to be the difference maker. But, you know, if we think back to when Leroy Sane was there, like Guardiola didn't take any of Sane's attacking instincts out of him, but he did expect him to work back and um, defend like the rest of the team. So it won't just be like a free license to mm. always lose the ball. And, and there will be times where Grealish or someone else is the better option because um, they offer more, more control or more, more whatever. So mm-hmm. it, it's you know he, I, I wouldn't expect him to be the sort of player that plays every week. No, of course not, of course not. But one you'd expect to play a bit more regularly is Mateo Kovacic. What have you made of his stat? Good. Um, looked very good when Rodri was in the team. Looked less good without him. I mean, obviously it was stupidity on Sunday to um, to dive in for that second tackle after he'd he'd been let off with the first one. So that will have to be have to be watched. Um, I think he looks well. He, he's more settled than Nunes is because he's been in the team for longer. I think it helped him having that pre-season to really kind of settle into the team and he, he's clearly kind of ahead of Calvin Phillips in the the pecking order. Um so he he's he's done a lot right since he joined and twenty five million looks very, very good money mm-hmm. for him. Um but yeah he has kind of dipped a bit since since Rodri was suspended. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that's understandable when you take the take the fulcrum over midfield, but uh, you know another midfield as you mentioned there, Mafeus Nunes comes in um, amid some controversy, um, a big feat as well. But I've honestly been quite surprised. I thought he was unlucky to get hooked against Wolves. I thought he was City's best player in that first half, um, and he's he's just much kind of more attacking than I expected him to be. I thought he was basically the new Rodri standing um, to basically push Phillips further down the pecking order, but he's not that at all. Um, he's clearly seen as the more, like a, kind of more of a Gundogan replacement sort of thing, of a dynamic player to carry the ball and um, run beyond defences. And he, he looks like he's got a nice bit of pace on him, really confident kind of taking the ball. And again, as you say, once he kind of gets more in tune with what he's wanted from at City, I think they've got quite a good player on the hands there. Maybe not the best in the world, like, but... Yeah, it, Nunes is an interesting one because he's sort of like a you have to kind of accept that he will take time to settle, but at the same time, this is a guy that they went out and bought after seeing him like dominate United on the first weekend of the season. So he should kind of be Premier League ready. I can't say I've seen any kind of like domination from him or any kind of real influence in a game. Um, You know, he came on for Foden against West Ham and was sort of quietly good. Um, he I saw a clip from the weekend being like oh masterclass when he came on against Arsenal and I, I sort of just associate him coming on with City losing control of the midfield again which they'd had before he came on um, so I, I sort of didn't see how he um, did anything notable against, against Arsenal I just think he's not had much time obviously he was the latest in after the, the sort of the late bid for him and he was clearly not first choice. Um but he he's shown he's shown potential, but I, I'm just waiting to see whether he will get to that point in the team where like City watched him against Wolves and he was the standout player. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm not sure how he gets to be that at City. And finally, Josko Gvardiol costing quite a bit much than the other signings. Um, been in and out of the side, in centre-back and left-back. doesn't really seem like he's got a settled position yet. Um, but promising signs, just again, it's kind of the trend of just needs time to settle, really. Yeah, he looks good on the ball. He doesn't look as good defensively, but then he's playing left-back, which he has done before, but he's a centre-back by mm. trade. Not entirely sure why he's playing left-back instead of centre-back so often. Um, whether it's just that Pep trusts all the centre-backs more and left-back's kind of he a less delivered a position. great cross against Arsenal at one point when he ran down the wing. Yeah. It was a really great ball, so I can see why he might have that quality, but I, I do agree. He's like... I think he played left back five times when he first went to Leipzig, and then they quickly realised no, he's a centre back, and then he never played there again. So it does seem a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's probably one of those risk factors for for Guardiola, but you know he's a very, very young centre back, and uh, see, you've bought him for the the long haul, and he mm-hmm. looks like he will just be be there and kind of just end up like a a Rolls Royce, just strutting around. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll bring uh, the first quarter season assessment to a close there. Thank you all very much for listening to the Talking City podcast. As I said earlier, of course, you can watch this in living colour on our YouTube channel if you so desire with plenty more um, great video content for your eyeballs to enjoy. Go over to Manchester Evening News dash Man City on YouTube. And, you, of course, we're on all the other social media channels as well. TikTok at um, Manchester Evening News dash Man City. Facebook, Manchester Evening News dash Man City. And Twitter, of course, or X, whatever you like to call it, at Man City M-E-N. But until next week, when we'll be scraping around from something else to talk about, hopefully City City's uh, international stars do some stuff that's newsworthy. But we'll be back next week to talk all things City here on the Talking City podcast. But until then, it's goodbye for now. Terrific.